0: Welcome to another episode of Columbine, and them, and you, and me, and everybody. Today, we'll listen to the story of Randy Brown. I'm Randy Brown. I was just a real estate broker in 1999, and. Uh, it was a nice job, I really enjoyed it. I, I was good at it, I worked really hard, tons of hours. It was challenging because every day was different. I worked a lot, Judy, my wife was home. She uh, you know, did a great job taking care of the kids and running the house and you know, into everything the kids did. We did a long time uh, from grade school. I don't remember if it was first or second grade, around there. And his mom worked and he was at our house a lot during the summers. He didn't like daycare. So not every day, but he was over quite a bit. He was right in between, he and his brother were right in between my two kids on age. So it was their oldest and our oldest. And and, and so they all got along. It was nice. Um, And and so he was at our house a lot and we, we did things with him and they did things. And Judy played with them and they played here and they played video games and they went down to the park. And um uh, you know, they were in a little band here. we we had videos of them playing the drums downstairs. Dylan was just now my kids were very nice, and and Sue's kids were very nice. Um, but Dylan was just nice and shy and gentle. Judy has such a great heart. I think she really cared about Dylan. She would always hug him, and we knew that he was shy just painfully shy. Um, so we always tried to bring him out of his shell. And he came over, um, a couple of weeks before Columbine to get something from Judy and, and the house. And she hugged him, and, and you know, I, I cared for Dylan. And it's, it's one of the regrets that you always have when someone. Guys, you know, you never told them exactly how you feel, you just showed them. Um, and I, I wish I probably told him more. And I was at work, and uh, my son called me on the phone and said, Dad, I, Dad, there's been a shooting at the school. Um, which is just this was unheard of back then. In Littleton people don't have weapons in '99, 1999, they didn't have weapons. and. Vi- there was no violence. There was some violence in downtown Denver, and th- and there was some violence in other cities, Detroit and Chicago and New Jersey and New York, but not not in suburban Littleton where we were. So, but when he called and told me that, I asked him. I said, "Is it Eric?" In the beginning, it wasn't bad. He was a a, a nice kid. We thought. Um, and Brooks was driving him to school. Brooks was picking him up and taking him to school um, when they were in high school. Brooks was a little older. And um, uh, and then Brooks would never wake up in the morning. He was a typical teenager. Like 10 o'clock was early for him. So Eric got mad and that was it. Eric hated him for not picking him up and that was it. And it was just inflexible. So uh, we knew there was some problem with Eric and, we actually told Bruce to stay away from him, don't talk to him, you know. Uh we don't give any interaction. And Brooks really made us mad one day when he came home and said, Um, guess who I made up with at school? And he made up with Eric and I was I was actually a little mad because we told you not to. We told you to stay away from him. And he would have been put in the same class with him and Eric was sitting behind him, so what was he gonna do? So he made up with him and tried to be nice to him, but um Ben and actually, uh, there was a hit list that Eric had prepared we've never seen. Of course, it's been redacted in any form they've released. And uh, I guess that's to protect the people on the hit list. We've been told by people that have seen it that Brooks' name was first on the list and crossed out. From, from that point on, our lives really changed. More and more with Dylan, I really just wanted to understand why. We were interested in this in the beginning because we wanted to find out what could possibly have made Dylan, the little kid we knew, kill innocent children in the most violent ways possible. It didn't make sense to us. We would hike in the mountains for days and days, and we would talk about Dylan. How could Dylan, that little kid we knew, be this cruel and... and, and you know, Eric. We understood Eric was an injustice collector, and he was on Luvox, uh, psychotropic drug, and uh, and and had anger issues. But Dylan did not. Dylan was just a nice little kid, um, and 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 it confused us. And that's that's what why Judy and I investigated it so long.
1: What has your journey been since April 20, 1999?
0: Oh, it's um it was it was a very transformational time. I was naive and hopeful and positive before this and um since this I'd been well different, you know, I've been depressed and suicidal and uh a little angry and mostly depressed, uh probably clinically depressed because uh It's not the world I thought it was at all. I'm living in a society and I'm working and I'm doing my job and I'm really good at my job and I'm raising my kids and I'm supporting them and we have a house and I've worked all these hours. And then this happens and it was a awakening moment for me on, wait a minute, I'm living in a society where this can happen. What is wrong with my society? What is wrong with me? I didn't see this. That I didn't stop this. That I wasn't aware of this as much. That this could happen right under my nose. It still happened in this beautiful place we live. It's such a beautiful place—the um, mountains and the and the sunshine and the creeks and the and the parks. And what what could be wrong with my society that this could happen right before my eyes and I wouldn't see it coming? So it's just a reality check on, what am I missing?
1: Did you ever wonder if Dylan was crazy, born bad after all? What made you so sure there was something else to understand?
0: It's a very complicated, difficult thing for people to understand. And they just want to go, oh, they were crazy and that's all it was. And um, and we knew that wasn't the case. We dealt with these kids. We... we we knew Dylan very, very well, and we had dealt with Eric. And th- these kids weren't crazy. They're, they were created. The anger they had was created. And and we wanted to understand that and try to let the world know that and explain that. And Judy and I were involved in that uh, to the craziest degree. We went to everything Columbine that was around Littleton, uh, we went to the uh, uh, governor's task force meetings uh, and made notes and listened and even spoke up at times. Um, the biggest lie of all is that there's no bullying at Columbine. That, that's a joke because there's always bullying, right? They're young, immature children. They're going to tease. They're going to bully. But out of control, they're going to humiliate. And that's a toxic school. You're ruining children's self-images. You're ruining their egos. You're ruining their confidence, and and it damages them. And a toxic school is where the athletes get all the attention. Uh, they can do no wrong. You can do no right. Whenever there's a problem, they take their side, not yours. That's why the toxic schools need to be changed and red flag laws need to be followed. And you go in and you... Uh, you take the uh, bad influence, whatever it is. I don't know if it's gangs or the football players or a certain number of bullies or uh, the wrestling team or 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 a certain group of girls. You you take whatever it is and you teach them that, that bullying and humiliation is cruel and that they shouldn't do that, and they need to be human and not animals. Um, and and so you discover the school is taught by how the children feel about it. So oh, here's a good question, you'll love this. Um, how many children in a school does it take saying that there's bullying for that to really be bullying? And how many children is a good question? So I, I asked that and people go, oh, 10, 12, 13, three. And the truth is, cancer's none. Just to make you think, how many children does it take? It doesn't take any. There's bullying there. You just haven't seen it. So you're not paying attention. Not you, I'm saying in general. And it's not accusatory. And you should find out why it's toxic and fix it. Because if you fix it, the kid who's angry won't be angry anymore. He's not going to go to school and shoot at a school that he doesn't hate. He'll go, oh my God, someone listened to me. They they stopped this. I don't have to, the, the the bullies have stopped. And and he can go on with his life. But if the toxic school remains in place, the toxic environment stays there, the anger just keeps building. So kids will commit suicide. They will move, they will dress weird and get out of the environment and act, you know, this they'll change to another school anything to not be a part of that environment. Um, And and the dressing room is not a bad thing. I'm I'm just saying it's a sign. You know, it's, it's, hey, I don't fit in here. I hate it here. So I'm going to disengage. And so they'll commit suicide. They'll do that. Or um, they will get violent and take it back to the school. And all of those um, results are... are are unacceptable. All of those results are unacceptable. Why are we putting up with the suicides and and the people dropping out of school? Why are the gifted children um, so alienated that they don't even go to class, some of them, because they're so bored and they're so sick of being, so they drop out? um, We don't address the problem. They want to go, oh, we need more police. Well, right after it happens, we need to put 10 policemen in the school and it's absurd, it starts with bully, and people just dismiss it then because it's this common word. But if I humiliate you, which is bullying you in public, and I continually do that, I'm damaging your ego, and I'm creating anger in you. So w- when you're humiliated, you get angry, it's, it's simple. And also when you're humiliated, you develop what um, uh, Paul Moans in his book, When a Child Cures, calls um, hypervigilance. You are you are so sensitive to being humiliated. Everything anyone does is um, is taken as an affront to you. So, someone's laughing over there and they're laughing at something else, but you think they're laughing at you. Um, and, and that's hypervigilance and that changes everything you see in the world. Now you're hypervigilant about everything and you understand that you uh, um, you know, when that guy's bullying that kid, that could be you, and you don't like this, so you hate him. And then you see that the teachers, no one's doing anything about it. And you know you, you talk to the principal, and he doesn't do anything, second. And you talk to the dean, and they don't do anything more so, nor over. When you talk to the dean, and he talks to the guy, you both get punished if something happened. Uh, this happened to Dylan, by the way. He reports that you're smoking marijuana in your car, so they search your car in the parking lot illegally and there's no marijuana there because they didn't use marijuana, but you're embarrassed. So um, it just grows and grows. The hypervigilance grows and grows until you believe that everyone is against you, and then you stop hating the bully, and you hate the school. You, you've you grown into hate the environment that you're in. So what happens from there is um, there's a process of violentization that you then get a mentor who shows you how to get back at them, how to get revenge. There were just a few violent kids, bullying kids, but they were so physically dominating. I'm 6'3 now, 240, okay? I'm semi-strong. I used to be much stronger, but I'm not weak. These kids with the ephedrine and the steroids they were taking and the weightlifting and the attitude – they were scary. These bullies were actually physically scary. I would think. Holy mackerel, that that's a look at that kid. What the, they, they weren't big and gigantic. And the main bully came from a rough family that, that behaved like that. Um they were just physical. Um so there's how do you fight back against the bully? You get a friend and it's two to one. And he helps defend you. Now the bully has two kids. So now you two to two isn't gonna work. They're way physically superior. So maybe you get a knife, or maybe you get a, a bat or something. Well, they carry knives and, and and they're way bigger than you. And so how do you fight back against that? Pistols, weapons are the great equalizer. You get a weapon and you can't be bullied. You can shoot somebody, bullets travel faster than a bully can run. Um, and, and that's their line of thinking. That's, that's what created these kids. They were bullied and humiliated enough and not every kid does just of course not. And obviously this is going to sound sexist, but it's not. I hope it's not. Um, women don't react like this. Women don't get physical and filing.
1: Do you think a uh, part of the problem is also school is hard deal with it, man up?
0: Yes. Um, that, that is a tough it out, tough it out, you're, you're, yeah, tough it out, quit crying, yes, go to school, quit crying, fight the bully, when he hits you, hit him back. That's, that's the, the common parental method for handling bullies. No one is helping you, no one's defending you, and the parents need to be much more sensitive to it, much more responsive. Fear is a great motivator. And living in fear will change you, and it changed these two kids. You have to take away the anger, take away the humiliation in a way that he appreciates so he's not angry anymore. And if he's not angry, he won't go to the school to kill people. Isn't that a simple lesson? That's the lesson. It used to be in America that we had small claims court. When you had a problem with a neighbor, you went to small claims court, and you— told the judge what happened, and the other person told the judge what happened, the judge would go, Mr. Brown, I understand your point of view, but this is the law. He's not responsible. It's your problem. And I go, okay, thanks. It's resolved. Now, you need an attorney to go to small claims court. It's allowed. If you go without one, you lose. So now, small claims court doesn't handle problems. So- Now people go to court, and court is so full of corrupt judges and people with agendas, there's no justice there either. So that's making adults angry, okay? Think of how the child, the bully boy feels in school when he doesn't have a small claims court. He doesn't have anyone he can go to to get justice. There is no resolving this problem, okay? There's no, okay, okay that guy bullied you, he's expelled for three days or he's got to do this and there's going to be be no more issues and we're going to make sure, okay, I can let that go then, but that doesn't exist. So this is what a toxic school creates. They allow the bullying, they allow the humiliation, they don't address the issue, they don't fix it. If Eric had gone in and said, this guy shoved me into a locker and called me a faggot, and it's the sixth time it's happened, they would both get expelled. Or something would happen to the guy who beat him up, and then that guy would would hunt for him, and, and the teachers in the administration would do anything later. So the fear never goes away. Maybe it's not an injustice. Maybe it's just I misunderstood. Okay, I get it. You know, he's in. I get it. This is what happened. But we don't have that. And that should be justice. And if it's not, people will find their own justice. We're losing the sense of justice in our society, and and that's adding to this. It's too late once the kids are on the way to this, to school with the weapons. You've got to stop it before that. And how do you stop it before that? You give them justice. You take away the injustice. You take away the humiliation. You make the school in a nice, fair place. Isn't that what they're supposed to be anyway?
1: And friendly. And why do you think grown ups in general tolerate
0: ulaying? That's the same thing that their parents do, as society does. It's not, oh, we're the problem. We have a violent society. We're humiliating these kids. It's them. They're just crazy. You don't have to think about wait a minute, what is wrong with my society that these two kids would go and kill innocent children and shoot them? At- You don't have to look at your society and see how violent your society is. Oh, they're crazy is easy. Looking in the mirror and finding out the real problem here is not easy. It's painful. It's a hard thing to do. And people don't like that. They want to watch football. They want to, you know, watch soccer. They just want to, you know, uh, we have a party to go to Friday night and uh, they, they don't want to think about what's wrong with their society. That growing violence is is very serious and concerning, um, you know. In, in the old days, you could argue with someone and, yeah, big deal. And you know, you disagreement, no one was just a disagree. And and now, um, people are using it as a way to express their anger and and that that overreaction of violence. It's not overreaction to violence. It's not overreaction of violence, overreaction of, violence of shooting people just because you're upset is, is a really disturbing thing and a disturbing trend. So our country in particular and other countries um, are violent and promote violence and encourage violence and live with violence. And I think that's a very foreboding situation, very serious problem. Um, you know, it's a, a little small, little planet we live on and uh, we, we can't be violent and killing each other. We need to be figuring out a better way. Many people I know, their children, they're not having children because they don't want to bring them into this violent world. That's not good either. We need to fix the problems. We need to take the violence out of our society. We need to take the violence, the humiliation out of our schools. These arrogant kids that, because they're a year older and bigger than the other kids, that so they can bully them. Five years later, that's gone. And and why do we allow that to prevail? And why do we allow this violence? So why do we, are we so fascinated by these violent movies? Why do we want to be in wars? Why do you think? Um, because that's what we're taught. We're taught to fight for your country and to die for your country and to kill other people that are trying to... Do something against your country and your heroes. If you do that, and um, and you want soldiers to go to war and fight, you want young men to do that. And I think there's more money in it. There's money in war, building weapons. Every time they shoot off a rocket, two million dollars. The money they spend shooting out for rockets, they can make our educational system 50 times better than it is. But no one wants to look in the mirror and do that. And I think right now, corporations and the government and the politicians are pretty much all on the side of that. They're all on the side of the corporations waging war. I can see the gun people here, they don't want to give up the right to have guns because our country is based on that. But you have to learn to be able to take the guns away from the violent people. Good grief! You can't let everyone have a gun. That's crazy, Um and 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 yet there's no compromise there because there's right and left, and there's and there's two viewpoints, and there's no middle thinking anymore. And the '60s remember Bobby Kennedy, how amazing he was. Oh my God, wow. he gave that speech after Martin Luther King had been killed. It was one of the bravest things I've ever seen. I think it was in Cincinnati, and but those people they're not around anymore Martin Luther King and Gandhi and Bobby Kennedy and they're not around anymore we just have agendas 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 and it's violence but it's all supporting the violent corporations and it's, it's upsetting and it's sad and you can see it where you are I'm sure other people can see it but it's not discussed here it's, it's just not and it needs to be The movies are so incredibly violent and killing and killing and killing. Look at the books and the TV shows and the TV shows are incredibly violent. And the movies now on the internet are so violent. They're unbelievable. Look at just the John Wick series. How embarrassed, how ashamed that actor should be. So it made these violent, I'm killing 87 people in this movie because they stole my car. You know, You've got to be kidding. Look at the violence of that. If parents knew what their children could find on the internet, they would be dumbfounded. The darkness of that, your children are accessing this. You want your children access to this level of violence? Do you want your children to be at PTSD like a soldier from Afghanistan? They've witnessed 20 killings in a grocery store by a kid with a rifle? And you're watching this, do you want your children to have that memory? Of course you don't. So I I hope you can address that. I hope you can point that out. How do you think
1: we could help kids believe in life, love life, value life?
0: Oh, God, yes. What a wonderful idea. Um, Well, I think you stop taking them to movies like John Wick movies and all the violent movies and you take the violence out of their lives and read them Les Miserables or read them A Tale of Two Cities or make them read books that have value and read them the story of Gandhi, read them the story of Martin Luther King, teach them about uh, Bobby Kennedy and what he did and, and there are hundreds and hundreds of other heroes that you could find to follow and Teach your children that. Teach them not to be violent.
1: Thank you, Wendy. I have one question for you. What would you say to someone considering violence right now?
0: There are dark moments in your life where it just seems like uh, there's no reason to go on. And, and you need to fight those. You need to maybe take that as a challenge that you... You don't end it now that you live through this and then you gather more wisdom and you make the world better. And as for someone doing violence, you're confused. The the violence that you're going to do is just going to create a great deal of sadness and it's not going to fix anything. Eric and Dylan's violence that so many people emulate, so many people admire, which is sad, created more sadness and more pain than anything they ever went through. They wasted their lives too, and along with the lives of all the people they shot, and people they injured, and all the other people who lived this lives they were ruined just by doing this. They were just immature. They just reacted to this at one level and could never see past it and any way to see past just being humiliated and bullied. And just follow this uh, lessons they've been taught about the violence. They lived in their own little microcosmic world of bullied kids in a school, and they did, couldn't see a way out of it. And you know, geez, yeah, they should have gotten together and run away to Australia and had a life. You know, maybe they should study, become a musician. You know, lift weights, take taekwondo, take aikido, make themselves better. You know, Dylan was really good with computers you know what, get away from the school then and go get a GED and go to college and get a computer programming thing or fix computers or program. He would have been great at that. And Eric, uh, you know, so he couldn't get in the Marines or Army, whichever it was, you know, go to college for a couple of years and join then if it's a big deal and find other ways, other nonviolent ways to make the world better. We need justice. Eric should have become an attorney. and fought for justice. That's a better revenge than killing innocent people. Violence doesn't work. Violence just creates sadness and more violence.
1: Thank you so much. Can I ask you, Andy, um, how are you doing uh, 24 years later and how Judy and your sons are doing?
0: Doing pretty well. Nonviolent people, um, good good people. My kids are good kids. Um, Great kids, very nice, smart talented people that, and very kind. They're both in computer games. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. They, they they stay out of the limelight. They stay out of the public eye. And Judy's doing well. She's moved on to try to um, learn to be happy again.
1: It's a so great goal. Going-
0: yeah, it is, which is why I told you initially uh, I just don't want to do them anymore, the interview. But after I thought about it for an hour, no, Mike, I haven't given up. I still want to try. What's wrong with humanity? We can't see that. We can't see this nonviolent side of ourselves that we need to encourage. And uh, and that's why I agreed to do this. And hopefully that that will be one of the things you can teach in the podcast. We all need to be kinder to each other. We all need to... Thank you so much for listening to Columbine, them, and you, and me, and everybody. Take care, and you'll be hearing from us again very soon.